Let us turn then in our Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. And I want to look tonight with you with verses 11 to 19. 11 to 19 of chapter 17 of Luke. We're going to look at the cleansing of the ten lepers. And the title I would like to give for our meditation tonight is Foreign Gratitude. Foreign Gratitude. I'm not going to look at the first ten verses with you this evening. There are four things that Christ brings up in these ten verses. And it may well be that I will refer to them on another occasion. Perhaps something like a a fellowship lunch. I could pick one of these topics and speak for about ten minutes on them. It might be a good opportunity to use the teaching of Christ on an occasion like that. We're not sure why the Lord Jesus, uh, or why Luke inserted these 10 verses there. There doesn't seem to be any connection with what happened previously or what happens afterwards. But nevertheless, it's there. And there are, there are four things, and I'll quickly highlight them to you, that we find in these 10 verses. In verses 1 to 2, we are warned about causing a fellow Christian to sin or to put a stumbling block before them. It's a dreadful thing, and the Lord Jesus Christ looks upon it as a terrible thing when an obstacle or an offense is put before one of his uh, disciples. In the end of verse 2, it says, than that he should offend one of these little ones. And the one there is quite emphatic. And it would teach us that the Lord Jesus Christ is concerned about every single one of his disciples. They are all important to him. Even the weakest, even the most sickliest, they're all important to Christ. And he cares for them. And he warns us about putting obstacles or stumbling blocks before fellow Christians that would cause them to sin or to apostatize. And verses 3 and 4, he talks about the practice of forgiveness, where Christians fall out. For instance, if someone sins against you, here we have Christ's way of dealing with that. And it's very important that we actually follow what Christ says if we find ourselves in that kind of situation. Because very often, if someone offends us, the last thing we're likely to do is actually to confront them with it. We're more inclined to speak to maybe the minister or an elder, or to gather around one or two other Christians and to state our case before them, rather than go direct to the person who has offended us. And Jesus is telling us this is the way to deal with it. Confront the individual and then forgive the individual. And then he goes on about, well, the apostles asked the Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus is telling them that 
<coughs> if ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, that's what's required. And what he's really talking about there is, it's not so much the quantity of their faith, but the object of their faith that's important. Many people talk about having great faith. Well, friends, we're to have faith in the Lord Jesus. It's not our faith that saves us. It's not the quantity of our faith. It's Jesus Christ that saves. And if we have real, genuine faith in him, even if our faith is like the grain of a mustard seed, that will save us. And that is sufficient for us. That's what he's teaching there. And the last thing that he's teaching here is about recognizing that we are servants. The Christians are servants. And when we serve the Lord Jesus Christ, we are simply doing our duty. And even the best of our service, doesn't matter who it is or what it is, the best of our service, we are but unprofitable servants. We cannot serve him the way that we should, and we do not serve him the way that we should. And this should be our kind of mentality. We are unprofitable servants. But let us look then at verses 17 to 19. I'm sure this incident is quite familiar to us. At the beginning of the chapter, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and now he's on the way to Jerusalem. And you will be aware that what was going to happen, he was going to face Gethsemane, and he was going to sweat great drops of blood as he was going to make atonement for his people. And as it become, became more and more clearer to him what was required of him in order to secure the salvation of his people, this is what lay before him as he went to Jerusalem. Gethsemane, Golgotha, and all the horrors of that. But before he gets there, he, passing through an area of Samaria and Galilee, and he enters into a certain village, we're told, and there he met ten men who were lepers, which stood afar off. Well, there are four things that I'd like to highlight from this incident for our edification this evening. What have we got first of all? Well, first of all, we have a great need. A great need. Verse 12. As, and as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. We do not appreciate what leprosy was in biblical times. I do believe that leprosy is still with us. But if it is, it's not the same as biblical leprosy. Leprosy today, I do believe, can be cured. But whatever, in biblical times, if you had leprosy, it was a death sentence. Death was inevitable. And because it was highly contagious, you had to be separated from family, from the community, from everyone. And if anyone would come near you, you were obliged to cry out, unclean, unclean. 
and to warn everyone to keep away from you. The only way that we can compare their condition with the condition of some people today is that it's like today if someone has a terminal illness. That's what leprosy was in biblical times. And they had to go to the priest because they recognized that if they were going to be cured, only God could cure them. No doctor could possibly cure them. They were a hopeless case. And that's the reason why they stood off. They stood afar. And they were all together, ten lepers. And as we know, one of them was a Samaritan. And if you know anything about your Bibles, you will know that in biblical times, the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. They had no time for each other. But here we have those who have a common ailment or a common illness, and they're joined together as one. They truly had a great need. And very often, people with great needs will be joined together, who ordinarily would never meet together. You find this very often happens with alcoholics, for instance, or drug addicts. You'll find alcoholics from all areas of life. Some are professionals, some are working class or whatever, but they'll gather together because they have the same problem. And so with the drug addicts, they come from all walks of life. They can be educated or uneducated, but they will gather together because they are joined with this common problem. And this is what we find here. And they truly had a great need. Leprosy, friends, is something that works inwardly first. It works inside the body. And uh, the sufferer is not aware of the disease until it begins to manifest itself on the extremities of the body. And by the time that happens, it is curtains. It's a slow, painful death. It is ultimately a death sentence. And you might well be aware that leprosy, biblical leprosy in the time of the Bible, is actually a picture of sin. Sin is incurable. Sin will ultimately destroy us. Not just our bodies, but our very souls. That's how powerful sin is. And as far as a picture is concerned, the picture of the leper is a very accurate picture of every one of us by nature. We have this disease within us that does not necessarily manifest itself outwardly. We can live outwardly, morally upright lives. No one will point a finger at us. No one will take us to court because of our sin. It's something that the lawful authorities do not recognize. But God does. And God finds sin loathsome. It's an abomination in his sight. And that's what we are by nature. And therefore these men had a great need. They couldn't deal with this themselves. They would have to go to the priest. 
and the priest himself could do nothing. He would simply be, all he would do would be examine them and tell them whether they have been cured or whether they were still unclean. It was a totally desperate situation. Well, if they had a great need, and they did have a great need, we rejoice, secondly, that they also had a great cry. And when we say cry, we do not mean tears. We do not mean tears of sorrow. No, they saw the Lord Jesus Christ. And what they knew about Christ, we cannot tell. The Bible does not declare it to us. We assume they heard something about him. We assume that they heard that he was a great miracle worker. And they recognized, therefore, this was their golden opportunity. Here was this one who had performed miracles, who had healed the sick, who had raised the dead, who had opened the eyes of the blind, who had opened the, or unstopped the ears of the deaf and loosened the tongue of the dumb. This, is, this was their great hope. And what do you know? He was within shouting distance. And therefore they raised their voices and they cried because we're told here, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now it may well be obvious to you why they cried out. Well, they cried out, friends, because they recognized they had a great need. They were living a death sentence. They were dying right before themselves. And they recognized their need. And that's why they cried out. And they didn't care who heard. They wanted Jesus to hear. And if others heard, it didn't matter. They, were rec they recognized the dreadfulness of their situation. And therefore, they raised their voices and cried to the Lord Jesus Christ. We can certainly emulate the lepers. Do we not have a, a great loathsome disease? Do we not have a disease that has greater power, if you like, than leprosy itself? Leprosy would only kill the body. But sin that we all know and all experience in our sinful natures... Will it not kill our bodies and our souls? And will they not die eternally if it's not dealt with? And is it not true that we cannot deal with it ourselves? Like the lepers, they cannot deal with leprosy themselves. And this is why they cried out, because they had this great need. And friends, I wonder, what is wrong with us? What is wrong with you? You know you have a great need. And you know there is a great Savior. You have been told umpteen times. It has been made abundantly clear to you that Jesus Christ is able to save. Does it not say in the book of Hebrews that he's able to save to the uttermost those that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them? Is this not a wonderful encouragement for us to cry, to lift up our voices, and to call upon Jesus Christ that he might save us, that he would take away our sins, and that he would reconcile us to God? We're not talking about audibly calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ 
in the full gaze of the public. No, but you can call upon him in your closet as you should. Do you not have a great case? Do you not have a situation that overwhelms you? That you cannot deal with? You haven't the power? These men lifted up their voices. Now we believe, my friends, in the sovereignty of God. And we're delighted to proclaim it. God is indeed sovereign. But he's the sovereign God who has told us to cry out unto him. We are responsible. We're not to rest upon the sovereignty of God. Instead, the sovereignty of God is to encourage us to call upon him. He has told us what to do. And if we're still in our sins, if we're still in a state of unbelief, if we don't know the new birth, if we haven't been converted, it's time to call out unto him. It's time to state our case before him. It's time that he would hear a great cry. And the problem is, we don't recognize our need. To these poor outcasts who were living away from their family and away from all society, who couldn't come to the house of God, who had no social contact whatsoever, you know, they were the ones who practiced social distancing. This is what we had to do on some occasions not that long ago. They knew all about it. Keep away, social distancing, don't come near me. They knew their problem. And when they saw an answer to their problem, they cried out. And this is our problem. This is the problem with people who don't come to the house of God. They don't see their need. They don't realize the tremendous plight they're in. And they don't see the imminent danger. Oh, that they might see that they're hanging over into hell as it were. They're on the border of eternity and soon they're to drop into the bottomless pit. Oh, if we would recognize that, if that might be impressed upon us, how close we are to eternity and how dangerous and serious is the situation, then we would raise our voices. Then we would cry out to the living God, Oh Lord, save me. Oh Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. See that prayer there. Master, have mercy on us. That's a real prayer. How many words? Five words. How many of us are, are verbose in our prayers? We need to learn to be succinct, to be concise, to gather up our thoughts and to say a lot in a few words. They said enough. This was a prayer that was heard by the Lord Jesus. Master, have mercy on us. This is what we need. It's mercy we need. Come, Master, hear our prayers. <coughs> well, they uttered a great cry because they had a great need. Thirdly, there was a great cure. Verse 14, And when he saw them, 
he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. What did he do there? He basically pointed them to the means of grace, to the Old Testament law, to the ceremonial law. You'll read it, I think it's in Leviticus 13 and 14 or 15. There are two chapters that deal with the priest and the response to the leprosy, those who had leprosy. And one thing they had to do, they had to go to the priest and deal with him. And that's what Jesus tells them to do. Go to the priest. And what do we find? And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. They cried out to Christ, having seen him. He answers them, tells them what to do. Go to the priest. And as they turn and as they make their way to the priest, what do we find? Immediately they were all cleansed. Every single one of them. And when they would get to the priest, the priest would simply say that they are cleansed, they are healed. It wasn't going to be the priest who would cleanse them. He would simply declare that they were cleansed. And therefore they could join normal society again. The moment they heard Christ, and the moment they made their way back to the priest, they were cleansed. What a glorious cure. Here we see the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ten lepers who a moment or two ago were on that broad road that leads to destruction, to death itself, with no hope. And when they heard Christ and followed him and obeyed his command, they were instantly cured. This is also true of our sin, friends. It's marvelous. It's, it is stupendous. But this is what the gospel is. When we believe upon the Lord Jesus savingly, when we truly come to him, when we embrace him, when we are joined to him by faith, then our sins are forgiven. And we are reconciled to God. And all the blessings of the gospel belong unto us when we come to the Lord Jesus. In some sense, it's no, it's no wonder that people stumble at this. Because if people have a, an accurate sense of their plight and of the power and the grip and the thraldom that sin has upon them, that somehow it's all broken and all their sins are forgiven simply by believing upon the Lord Jesus. No wonder people stumble at it. But we don't stumble because it is the Word of God. It is the gospel and it is the power of God unto salvation. And as you come to Christ with all your sins, and when you take your sins to Christ, you may well be burdened with them. But I'll tell you what, you don't know half of your sins. 
Most of your sins you have forgotten. But all of them are all forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ. These men were healed. And the very same way the sinner is healed. Sin has been forgiven. Guilt has been removed. The power of sin that, that sin had over the life of the believer is no longer what it once was. No, he's not perfect. Yes, he'll fall. Yes, he'll encounter sin again, but it will not have dominion over him. He's a new man, or she's a new woman. New life. It came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And that could be said of the sinner. As they went to the Lord Jesus, it came to pass that they were cleansed. And oh, what a marvel it is when someone's cleansed. Their life is transformed and changed. Well, after this great cure, fourthly, we have a great response. Verses 15 to 19, the bulk of this text is taken up with the response. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. Before he went to the priest, he turned back. You see, those who went to the priest, they would have seen that they were healed as well. But they went to the priest. Why did they go to the priest and not come to the Lord Jesus? They went to the priest because they wanted to get back into the world. They wanted the social contact. They wanted to be able to be with their families and to go about their lawful activities. They wanted to engage themselves in the things of the world. That was uppermost in their minds. But not for the Samaritan. He was healed. And oh, was he, was he not full of joy? Was he not transformed because of this? We sang it a few minutes ago from Psalm 92. For thou, Lord, by thy mighty works hast made my heart right glad. And here was a man who was right glad. He was a, he was a man who was delivered from death. And he knew it. And he wanted to give his thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ because he recognized it was through him. And he comes back and he acknowledges. He gives a great response and he's so overwhelmed with thanks. He's got his life back and he wants to thank the great benefactor here. He comes before him and on his face, on the ground, he fell down on his face at his feet giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? They were cleansed too. But they didn't give thanks. Not interested. They got their lives back. What more do they need? Everything's hunky-dory now. They can get on with their life. This can apply to Christians. If we are Christians, friends, we have experienced 
a wonderful transformation, something that we could not do ourselves, something that only Christ could do. And our life should be full of thanksgiving. There should be two characteristics that mark out the true, genuine Christian. Every Christian. Every Christian's not the same. We have our gifts and our graces. We have a level of faith. And we're not robots. We're not clones. Everyone is different. But these two marks should mark out every Christian. What are they? First is humility. And this man shows it. Fell down on his face at his feet. He recognizes that he attributes his new life to Jesus Christ. That's his great hope. He had no hope before. Now he has a glorious hope. And he's on his face before him and he's thanking him. He is really humble before him. And so it should be for the Christian. We have nothing to boast in. Christ has been merciful. He has forgiven our sins. In the sovereignty of God, a mysterious thing. God has overlooked others, yet he has given grace to you. And he has awakened you. He has brought you to a sense of your sin. And you've reached out and embraced Christ. It's all of grace. Nothing in of yourself. Others have been passed by. Others who might have been brighter Christians, better serving Christians, or whatever. Yet, God in his mysteries has passed them by. This should cause you indeed to be truly humble. To know the grace of God. Nay, to know the saving grace of God. And the other mark is thankfulness. This should characterize the Christian also. We are where we are because of the grace of God. He has blessed us, given us things that we do not deserve. And this should cause us to thank him. I've mentioned this before to you on other occasions. Romans chapter 1 Towards the end, he, Paul there highlights the sins of the Gentiles. And one of the things he says concerning the, the unbelievers, they were unthankful. Knowing God, having a sense of God, not a saving sense, of course, but a, a sense that would cause them to not to have an excuse. Yet they didn't use what knowledge they had. Neither were they thankful. And Christians can be exactly the same. 
And why is it then that Christians are not as thankful as they should be? We really go back to the very beginning. They have no real comprehension of their plight by nature. They have no real understanding of the doctrine of sin. Or they might have some understanding, enough to lead them to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, but they are largely ignorant of the great salvation that Christ has secured for them. And they fail to look at the cross. You know, if you want to know more about the doctrine of sin, go to the cross. That's why it's good that we have communion seasons that remind us about the person and the work of the Lord Jesus, and particularly his, his passion. Because there we see the awfulness of sin. Yes, we delight. We also see the, the wonderful, glorious love of God. It's there in the cross. But also we see the terribleness of sin. For it took the Son of God to become like us and to suffer in our room instead in order to redeem us. And if Christians had a greater understanding of what Christ has achieved on their behalf and how they have been rescued, it would cause them to live a life of humility and thankfulness. And it took a, a foreign individual here to express his gratitude. We would be inclined to believe that the other nine were of the covenant people, of the Jews. They didn't think much. And this man here, the Samaritan, what did he receive? He received the ultimate blessing. In verse 19, Jesus said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith has made thee whole. The others went their way, and their bodies were clean. This man went back to Jesus. His body was clean, but also his soul. And he's with Jesus tonight. A foreigner showing them up returning to the Lord Jesus, expressing his thanks at what Christ has done for him. A great response. This should be our response. But maybe you cannot give this response. Why not? Maybe you know nothing of this blessing. How can you share then? How can you share in this blessing? The only way you can share in this blessing is to cry out to Jesus Christ, the one who came to seek and to save that which was lost. Come then, even tonight, come. Embrace him, seek him, call upon him. Call upon him while he is near, the Bible tells us. Amen.